All right, my name's Rob. I'm one of the grace growers here at Calvary Chapel. And we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And this is an important series to me. I feel like it's an event that's been in the making for quite a while. And I've got a few... Could be totally wrong, could be right convictions here. And I do think that one of the realities of the church throughout history is that hard times and bad times are for the church rediscovering the riches that it has in Christ. Because we kind of know when things are going well and we don't need Jesus that much, we get used to not needing Jesus that much. And then we kind of get used to finding our strength and our power in the same place everybody else does. And then the Lord sends like a great shaking across the land and we realize that we aren't as strong as we thought we were and we're not as smart as we thought we were and we aren't as brave as we thought we were and we're not as powerful as we thought we were and we're not as stable as we thought we were and then we have this wonderful opportunity to come back to the word of God and find out who we really are in Christ and in the Holy Spirit and how God does not actually need current events permission in order to do great things in his church in fact Often he wants to prove to the principalities and powers that rule over these present darknesses that he doesn't need great people or strong people or wise people in order to be powerful in his church. In fact, he often chooses the losers and the weak and the nobodies in order to shame the strong. And so it's a great time to be a loser and weak and a nobody in the church because God wants to show his power in the midst of a nobody people. I could be wrong. But I don't think so. And so it's a great time to rediscover the reality of the Holy Spirit in the church. And today we're going to be talking a bit about being the temple of the Spirit. And I also would just like to give a caveat. If you're a New Testament reader, and I hope you all are, and if you aren't right now, like I hope you want to be, sometimes the scripture will talk about the temple of the Spirit being the gathered church. And we're all together the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he may talk about that more often. But sometimes God will also affirm that each one of us bodily is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Okay, so just, I like clarifying things. Sometimes God will talk about all of us together as living stones being built up into a temple for the dwelling place of God. But sometimes the emphasis will be on the fact that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. One more caveat before we get going. Sometimes I'll get encouraged to say we a lot, like we this and we that, because it's a little bit less like hit you in the face with a dwarven mallet. Today I've given myself permission to use you, because I want you to get this. And I'm in the chair hearing the you too. Please don't worry. God, make sure I take serious every message I give. I've either learned the lesson before the message or he shows up at my house right after to make sure I learn the lessons after the message. I promise God takes me serious doing this. But today you're going to hear yous. All right. I have a slide. I'm going to skip by this one. All right. I'm going to play a little bit of Where's Waldo in the Old Testament. Okay? Except you're Waldo this time. No matter if you've got a cane or striped shirt or hat or tukey hat, whatever. Imagine you're in this story 
of Moses. And you've just, he's just led the Israelites out of Egypt, 400 years of bondage and slavery and oppression that was capped off with the law of the land being that every single Israelite male has to be killed and thrown into the River Nile. That was the government's policy for population control. And you've been rescued by this, by power and miracle and devastation. And Moses is leading the people of God out into the desert. And they spend a bunch of time. There's some fiascos there, but God has mercy on it. And they spend their time building this tent where God's going to dwell. And finally they're done and the fire comes down. And I just want you to picture where you are in that story, okay? You've time-traveled. Who are you in that story? Can you see yourself? Maybe you're outside the tent. Maybe you're like, want to be um, Joshua, the son of Nun, and you're hanging out with Moses, and you're just, maybe you want to be Moses. You just want to be the guy who's spent so much time with God that your face is glowing, and you need to wear a veil over your face because you're one of those dwelling people. Any, like, dwell-in-the-presence people here? I know you're here because I know, yeah, you don't put your hand up because it's not important what I do. The importance is dwelling. So you're one of the dwelling people that hide it out, you know, and with your glow, you got the people are scared. And where are you in that story? Okay, let's time jump a little bit. Maybe you're living in Israel and it's after the time of Solomon and stuff. And you're here. You're living in Jerusalem in the time of the kings of Israel. Where are you in this time? Maybe you're one of the, the, we want to be a Levite. You're kind of doing the sacrifice thing. Maybe you're a Vince or a Matt and you just like can't imagine having a purpose in life that doesn't involve separating flesh from bone and throwing it on a fire. So you're going to be a Levite or something like that. Or maybe you're a musical type and you want to be part of the band that's David appointed to be worshiping in the temple. Or maybe you're like one of the business people and so you just want a kind of a house on the hill a little bit, but you want to be close to God. But making the shekels and, and doing what you can there. and Well, maybe you see where I'm going with these stories here, but according to Scripture, if you're a Christian, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're born again, you're that building. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, who you have from God? That's you. That thing there, the big brick one, that's you. That's you in this story. You're that thing that God's presence lives in. That's you now. When you read the Old Testament and you read about Moses and the, the, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, that's you. When you read about Solomon building the temple, that's you. You're the place where God lives. Do you want to see what God's house looks like? Find a mirror. It's you. You're the temple of God. And temples are crazy things. People would build these things so that their God could dwell. They put idols in there often, or except for in Israel, they wouldn't put an idol because their God is a spirit who created all things. You can't build a building big enough for him to fit all of himself in. And so they would just put the Ark of the Covenant, and the whole point of the Ark of the Covenant was that there was scripture in the box. There's the Ten Commandments which is God's covenant, his sacred promise to dwell with his people and how he was going to live with them and how they were going to live with him. And the word was in the box and the box was in the Holy of Holies and the Holy of Holies was in the temple and God's presence in his word was dwelling in the midst of the people. 
But people fight about these things. These are important places. Right now in Israel, uh, the temple got destroyed and removed, and, and the Muslims have built the Dome of the Rock over top of that same site, and even saying that could get me in trouble with certain people because some people would want to deny that it was ever there. And like every few months, there's violence in that area of the world because it's a holy site. And people fight over their temples because that's where God lives. And everybody knows that God needs defending. Except for that time when uh, Jeroboam, who was that guy? Gideon was doing some temple wrecking and Gideon's dad was a good theologian. He gets up and he says, Hey, if your God needs you to fight for him, maybe he's not that much of a God. Why don't we all just go home? And if God's mad at Gideon, God can do something about it. He's a good theologian. If your God is so weak that he needs you to kill for him, maybe he he ain't much of a God worth worshipping. Anyhow. That's you. You're a mobile temple. You're, you're the temple with legs. And God has so identified himself with you that he says your very physical body is the dwelling place of God. And I think about this sometimes because I think, you know, like where? <laughs> Anybody? Just you try to figure that out. Where? Jesus lives in my heart. That's great. Unless it's physical, because you don't actually want a little man inside of your heart blocking the flow, because then that explains why I'm tired all the time. I've got Jesus living in my heart. It's like a big cholesterol wad, and so don't ask me to do any heavy lifting. Don't invite me to help you move, because I'll probably... No. Where? Well, the whole thing. Every single part of you and me is saturated bodily with the Spirit of God. And don't ask me about, like, what happens when my hair falls out? And, you know, did the Holy Spirit get shaved when I went to the barb? Don't, don't psych yourself out. However, take serious the word of God. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God? And most of us, I think if we're honest, we'd say, I don't know that. But when Paul, writing to the Corinthians, writes this, he's like, don't you get it yet? So, we're doing a lot of the brain work of this whole thing, whatever God's doing about the Holy Spirit here. Last week was my call for us all to believe that the Spirit is the Spirit of truth, who wants us to know the truth and change our minds to be in the truth, and just asking each one of us to go to God and say, Help me know the truth by the power of the Holy Spirit. Help me know the truth of God's word. Help me know what you think about reality and my life and me. Help me to dwell in the truth. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to shortchange you. I don't want to think I'm smart when I'm dumb. Tell me the truth. And this week, the whole thing is, don't you get it yet. Your living flesh is where God lives. And how does that change things for you? Anybody here ever feel empty? That's a lie. Anybody here ever feel alone? Yes, we need human contact. You're never alone. Wherever your body is, 
that's where God is. Especially when you show up to work. Wherever you go, that's where God is. Because don't you know yet, your body is the temple of the Spirit. I can't help but think of a kind of a newer couple that I've met who run a dairy farm. Every morning, their cows get milked by a temple of God. What lucky cows. That their creator comes to help them serve us. And I know it's a bit of a joke, but seriously, all your coworkers have the temple of the living God show up in the morning to be with them. If only we knew it. So when you read the this is really crazy. Just trying to get your head in this. And I don't want to like overdo it. I don't want anyone to be like, okay, so I'm supposed to stand here and everyone will come and do sacrifice before me because I'm the general. Like, don't take this in a bad direction. Every truth can be abused. Don't be one of them. Right? Take God's truth and then ask God, how do you want me to live this out? God's truth, God's ways, right? Well, The crazy thing about this reality, which is your reality, and guess what? You get to spend the rest of your life asking God, I believe I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. What do you want that to mean for everyone around me right now? You get you what an adventure. (laughs) Right, huh? What an adventure. You get to bring Jesus. You don't I mean we pray, God come, and he's just like, You're already there. (laughs) Like what did you think I was hanging back? Do you think you get unsaved every time you leave church and I stay at church and you leave without the Holy Spirit? You're like, eh, like, didn't you read the book? Wherever you are, you don't have to pray for me to come because I'm there in you. I mean, you can still pray it. But you should have that little like theological bling go off in there like, oh, I'm already unbelieving as much as God's told me is real. Or am I the only one who does that when they're, yeah. Now, here's the weird thing about this situation, is that this humongous theology that the Apostle Paul is telling the Corinthian church, and that the Spirit is telling the church for all ages, is coming out of a horrible situation. And I, I know I'll say something funny about it, but it's not funny. Can I just say that? I, I know it's just my nature to... Um, want to add a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. But this isn't funny, what was happening in the church here, okay? And as you read it, I think that the Apostle Paul was actually kind of mad. He says some stuff, and it's like, boy, if he meant that, he is not, este no bueno, he's not happy. So here's a bit of the situation. He says, shall I then take the members of Christ? He just said, your body is a member of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a temple girl? And I know I'm saying that a little bit different than is written because there's lots of kids here and just I'm trying to be sensitive. Never, he says, or do you not know that he who is joined with a temple girl becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. That's from Genesis. 
But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. For every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against their own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So this is what I think was going on here. So Corinth was like a, a fresh fresh money, um, young blood, fresh money city. It was like a Los Angeles. It was like a New York, probably more like Los Angeles. New York's a really old city, so they've got lots of tradition and old buildings there. But Los Angeles is like a newer city because as they expanded across America, it went from east to west. And so Los Angeles like doesn't have roots they don't have a lot of roots. People would leave from places with roots to go places where there are no roots. And so there was like, it's really rich and people don't have like tradition to hold them back from just doing whatever they wanted to do when they had the money to pay for somebody to do for them whatever they wanted them to do. That's why you end up with Hollywood that where it's like anything goes would because they got no roots. And so Corinth was kind of like that. A few generations before, Corinth had rebelled against Rome, and Rome had just killed everybody and destroyed everything. And they had to completely rebuild it from the ground up. So it's like this new city, fresh money, fresh people. And without a doubt, there would have been like a temple to Aphrodite or one of these fertility goddesses there. And part of their worship would be to have young women there who would bring in income for the temple as people would come and worship this goddess by committing fertilizing acts within the temple in order to ask the goddess to give them fertility for their farms and for their cattle and increase their wealth. And that was a major part of the standardized religion of the city. And so you have these Christians there who have come to Christ and confessed their sins, but they're in the city where there's like access to um, other forms of religion. And they're kind of like, there's something appealing about that. And so it looks like they were participating in that kind of activity, even as they are worshipers of Christ. And this is where this correction from scripture Paul hears about it he's in a different city and he writes this letter and he addresses that situation in the letter from God this is a terrible situation and it is bad but I also want to say like this is the kind of thing where like People would just kind of flee and just quit church for it. And Paul doesn't quit church over this. You know, he's not happy, but he brings the truth of God's word. Speak truth to error. He brings the truth to this situation with the expectation that the church together would rise up to the truth of Jesus Christ and deal with this. But this is what this situation is like, I think, from Paul's perspective. So a few years ago... Um, Jackie and I, we were in the adoption process for our son, Timmy, who's Bulgarian and has Down syndrome. And so we're going out there, and it's a scary process, but also kind of one of those things that, you know, you can kind of take a little bit of spiritual pride in because you're doing something great for somebody, right? I don't know if you ever felt that way, but I did sometimes. Like, hey, now I can finally, like, I'm okay because I'm doing something big. And so we're taking the, we had to go twice. The first time to meet him, the second time to bring him home. And the first time we were going to meet him, you land in Sofia, which is the capital city of Bulgaria, and then you have to take a bus all the way to the other side of the country, which um, was in Burgas, one of the best names for a city of all time, Burgas. And 
which was really weird because we were looking, Jackie and I, months before, we were looking at a map of Bulgaria, and I was like, ooh, a city called Burgas. I want to name our kid Burgas. When we adopt this boy, we're going to name him Burgas, Burgas Balfour. And then he was actually living in Burgas at that time, which is just kind of like, a little bit. But anyhow, we're taking this bus from one side to the other, and it's probably a four, was it four or five hour bus ride? It's really funny. If you hired a car, it cost $200 more, but the guy did 150 the entire time from one side of the country to the other. So you got to like take a little nap and you'd be there. The bus driver won't do in no 150. He was going slow, slow, slow. And so it took forever. And one of the other things about Bulgaria is they, they're really afraid of catching colds. Um, they say it's because they used to be a communist country and the health care was worse than the sickness. And so you never wanted to get sick. So they always had the temperature of everywhere turned up to a million. And so the bus was like 35 degrees inside the bus. Now, this is what I'm getting to. They had a TV running at the front of the bus. We were maybe 15 rows back or something like this. And they put on some Hollywood movie. And I don't know what the movie was or whatever. All I know is that like 20 or 30 minutes into the movie, one of these Hollywood temple girls had uh, no clothes on in public transport. And I'm just like... Eh, not helpful. And you look to the left, but it's nighttime, and so all of the, the the windows are mirrored now, and all you can see is inside the bus, and it's like, ah, there it is again. And you turn to the right, and same problem. It's just mirroring the television at the front on the right side. And Jackie had, like, Candy Crush on her phone, but I didn't because I didn't actually want, I was like there for a spiritual journey, right? So you don't want all these like games on your phone when you're there for a spiritual journey. And so I got nothing on my phone to just distract myself. And so I'm in this bus where this Hollywood movie is showing this stuff and I'm trying to be spiritual and trying to go rescue a child with Down syndrome from certain doom in Eastern European adoption stuff. And I'm just like, I'm stuck in the bus. Don't make me watch this. And I think that's what the Holy Spirit can sometimes feel living in us. I'm stuck in you. Don't make me watch this. Don't make me do this. Don't take me to the temple and unite me with one of the temple girls. Because I'm in you. Don't make me stuck inside your bitter heart. Don't make me stuck inside your offense. Don't make me have to listen to your judgment all day. I'm living in you. And I love you. And you're my home by choice. And I'll forgive you 100%. But I'm really here. Am I crazy, or do you think I might be reading this right? Like, at the end of the day, shouldn't what matters is if it's true? And Paul kind of, it doesn't, he's, he's a little dangerous on this one, because he knows they're they're going to the temple and spending a little money to get what they want. And so he says to them, I'm sorry, he's just dangerous. He says to them, don't you know that you're a temple? Don't you know that you've been bought for a price? 
Like you like the control you have over go to the temple and control people with money. Don't you realize that you've been bought with the blood of Jesus and now you're his temple? And if you want to find out what control really looks like when Jesus comes to control your life, you may not like it. When the reality comes to smash through your fantasy. But one of the things I find so amazing here is that Paul wants to rescue these people with the proclamation, which means announcement of greater grace. It's just so wrong what they're doing. And he doesn't just say, don't you realize you could catch a disease? Don't you realize you're participating in stuff? He'll hit that later. Don't you realize that you're making people look bad? Don't you realize? He says, how could you do this when you're the Spirit's temple? He's hitting them with greater grace. Don't you realize that there is nothing in this world as precious and holy as you? Embrace that. Adopt that. Know who you are. Be who you are. Put this crap behind. Sorry, I promised I wouldn't say that this week. I said last week I shouldn't have. Put this garbage behind you because you are chosen temple of Jesus. You've got everything you could never buy. So be that. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. You have it. You have it. You have it. You have it. It's yours. You just don't know it. And that can be fixed so easy. You just... I was mowing the lawn this week, which is a holy activity. (laughs) Amen? I'm just like, I'm back in the garden. I'm Adam. (laughs) But with the clothes. It's okay. (laughs) But I'm I'm walking with God in the cool of the day. Um... Doing some mosquito population control. And just walking around. I'm the temple of God. I'm the temple of God. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. Me, this guy. I'm the temple of God. It changes things. It changes things. It changes. You want to feel God's presence? Why don't you just admit that he's already present? By choice. By love. Because it's his will. He wants to. By choice. He He wants to. He wants to. And yes, he'll get on our conscience when we do wrong. That's love. Not love for God is he never tells you there's something wrong. And you find out at the end. That's not love from God. That's rejection. If God loves you, he's talking to you all the time. Because he wants the best for you. Amen? So that was a bad situation, but he hits them with the biggest theology. The little thing that hit me about this, thanks for your patience. It's kind of crazy how honest the Holy Spirit's being here in this letter. Most people, when they kind of got stuff like this going on in their life, they wouldn't mind a little, ooh, discretion. You know what I mean? You just know that the response... Because this is a public letter. The the elders (laughs) unfurl all this thing. Maybe they've read it beforehand. Maybe they're all... It's, you know, the grand opening. And, and they you know, there's some good stuff. And they get to the part. 
where they're talking about the temple girls and the, the people in fellowship who go there. And you know what's happening? Everyone's looking. And then there's those like, those dudes who are just like, you couldn't have addressed me personally, privately. It's crazy. It just goes like straight public. And what he's dealing with, he's called, it's called like an open secret. You ever heard of this before? It happens in families lots. Everybody knows what's happening. Nobody's talking about what's happening. It happens in churches all the time. Everybody kind of knows what's happening. Nobody's like talking about what's happening. And Paul, I think sometimes Paul was probably on the spectrum just a little bit. He's a little bit Elon Musk. You know, he's just like, I'm just going to tweet about this. He isn't naming names yet, but he's got letters where he names names. There's letters, 2,000 years, the guys who are doing, doing a dirty in the church, they go down for, the, all, that's all we know about them in history, is the dirty things they did in church. And it's just like, in our culture, we have such a high expectation for others to join in our fantasy lives of pretending that things are different than they really are, that we resent and are offended at the moments when God pulls back the curtain. And we'd rather be angry at Paul than grateful to the Holy Spirit. We don't see it as like, oh, actually, God has revealed something that I've been trying to keep secret because I'm scared and I'm ashamed and I'm stuck, but I don't want this to come into life. We wouldn't see it usually as like, this is the hand of God trying to save me from something I can't rescue myself from, where most often we would just be like, that was my secret. And I'm, I, I'm all for discretion. I, I don't want to kiss and tell pastorally. But I look at this and I go, this is a different way of doing church than most of us would ever sign up for. And because of that, we might be less than what we could be as the people of God. And I think in Paul's heart, he was just like the straightest line between what's going on and what could happen is just directly. You know, he doesn't like throw anyone specifically under the bus, but the way of thinking, he goes after like like old Yeller after he's got the hydrophobia and he just goes after this this thing here. And so right now, you know, if I'm talking like this and you're feeling very uncomfortable that people might find out about something right now, bring it to Jesus till you're free. Get it into the light. Get on process. Get, just get active getting free. Like this is the sign that something's not right is you don't want people to know about it. This is the sign that the peace isn't there. So start, start just knowing you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're bought by Jesus' blood. You're loved by the Father. Fight, fight, fight with the truth. Fight for your mind. Fight for your heart. Get all the light you need into this. Get a group of people around you. Confess what the problem is and then start practicing the steps to get free. Secrets make us sick. The devil dwells in the darkness. Jesus is the Lord of the light. 
And you're the temple of the living God who already knows everything. So I think this is my last. Oh, it worked. Yes. Now, Paul doesn't think that the main issue is what they're doing with the temple girls. He thinks the main issue is the stinking thinking going on in their brains that make it okay to do what they do. And so before he starts kind of hitting them with the truth bombs to try to get them to live who they are, he goes after the worldview that they have built, the philosophy, the thought patterns that they've constructed for themselves to give themselves permission to do this. And so he starts off this portion. So I'm reading backwards here. He starts off this portion by saying, he quotes them, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy both one and the other. The body is meant not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that you're members of Christ? And then it goes into what I just read before there. But the thing I just want to point out about this is that so often, you know, when we're stuck in a sin problem, we can think that the problem is the sin problem. But Paul backs it up into the thinking that is the soil and the fertilizer that the sin problem's been living in to start off with, right? You're tracking with me? And somewhere along the lines, these Christians had figured out that they're now free in Christ. Amen? Are we free in Christ? You're not that free. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the problem. They were like, hey, now that you're in Jesus, there's, you're not under the law of God anymore. Hooray! We don't have to do sacrifice. We can eat bacon again. You know, we're not under the law of Moses. Grown men don't need to get circumcised in order to go to heaven. Don't be so quiet. Like, seriously, do you know what I'm even talking about here? You don't have to do that, do. And they took this truth, and then they said, let's push it a little farther. That's the first two problems. All things are lawful for me. But, there, Paul brings the but, the, re, the reality of, of Christ. And then they also had this other little saying, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, which is the if it feels good, do it <laughs> philosophy. Anybody heard that before? which would probably be the equivalent nowadays is I'm, I was born this way philosophy. I was born this way. I have to do this. I have a stomach. I have to eat food. And I have these desires. Ergo, some, I must do them. Anybody heard people talking like this before? And it's so true. You have a body and you can do whatever you want with it. That's true. I can't stop you. No one can stop you. You have this awesome flesh machine full of thoughts and passions and desires and pleasures. And there are ways to make your brain light up like a Christmas tree. And no one can stop you. 
for about 80 or 90 years, max. And then we appear before the judgment seat of Christ to make an account for what we did in the body. So if this is the life you want, 80 or 90 years of just trying to, whatever you snort, inject, drink, do with people, click on, you can make this thing light up like a Christmas tree until you sometimes, for about 15 seconds, feel like you found heaven on earth. And then the reality will crash back in. And you'll go into that low bender of the addiction cycle and then return to the slop that didn't satisfy in the first place. Maybe this time the fantasy will be come true and I can force people and things in my brain to become just the way it needs to be in order for me to be okay. And then it lets you down again. And so you have to repeat the cycle again and you've got maybe 80, 90 years of that tops and the last 20 years isn't going to feel good no matter what you do. And so Paul just says like, hey guys, you've got these great slogans. Are they all the way true? And are they even helpful? And are you sure you're free? There are people who are so free that they're in a living prison. There are people who are so free and they cannot stop destroying themselves. And Paul just, Paul, Paul preached our current age of every kind of addiction right there. Yes, everything is lawful for you. But are you dominated by it? And Paul's just saying, hey, temples of the Holy Spirit aren't dominated by anything. We do God's will. Temples of the Holy Spirit aren't selfish. They do what's helpful. Temples of the Holy Spirit aren't just doing every desire that comes into their body. They're doing what's going to get them praise from the living God at the end of their lives. And it starts here with a readjustment. Freedom is great, but I'd rather be a slave of Jesus. Do you know how good he treats his servants? Oh, my word. Do you know how good he treats his slaves? I don't want to be free. I want to be with Jesus. I'm 40. I've made enough decisions that have proven that my own decision-making is the worst thing that's ever happened in my life. I can't even spend my Christmas money, right? Okay, so we're going to wrap this up. I'm going to give the team a second to come here, but this is what I want to say. I love the scripture because it talks about our real lives. Who here needs to come to church to get rainbow shot at them? Nobody. You have real lives with real families and real hurts and real struggles, and so did the early Christians. This isn't any different than Winnipeg or Steinbeck. And we go, I don't want Steinbeck. Go make friends with YFC people. Find out what's really is us, the city. You know what I'm talking about? No, my Steinbeck. Yes, this is us. And the word of God is this. You are or get united to Christ. Don't settle for the chemicals. Be the spirit of God's temple. And once you're starting to get it, just look at how the universe looks totally different. Amen? Father God, let's do the stand thing. If you just want Jesus to so help you walk in the reality of your templehood, 
Why don't you stand? There's no compulsion, and if your knees hurt and you're sitting, nobody's going to judge you, okay? But God, here we are, your people. Thank you so much for leading us through a time of repentance when we got here, Lord. You love humility, and you love to forgive and bless those who just tell you the truth. You are a friend of sinners. You are a friend of sinners. Jesus, I want your friendship. I am a sinner. And Jesus, you had to tell these Christians in the early years afresh that they weren't living up to their reality. And everyone could see it. Father, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us in every time, in every area we have forgot that you are closer to us than anything we could inject inside of us? There's nothing we can eat that's closer to us than the Holy Spirit of God. There's nothing we could even inhale or breathe. The air isn't even closer to us than the presence of the Holy Spirit who has made us the home of Christ. And so Jesus, I cannot do this, but if you would be so kind as to make us experience the reality of your indwelling Spirit with everything you intended it for be, to be, that would be a love gift for the ages. You know, I could be wrong, but I just feel like somebody needs to hear me encourage them today that all things are possible for you with Jesus' life inside of you. I think you need to just, there are pain birthed excuses in your heart and you're afraid to trust again. I get it. But I believe, and I could be wrong, that the Holy Spirit would say to you, Sister, all things are possible for you because I'm living inside of you. Please remember, I was dead for three days and now I live forever. What is too hard for me in your life? So maybe instead of holding on to those pain birth excuses, it's time to put them on the altar of worship and let the fire of God burn them up. And just yield with submission. Don't try to control it. You don't even have to have any feelings right now. We're just submitting to the presence of God. And he will take action. Why don't we worship the Lord?